Thank you so much for that uh, this morning. What a blessing for us to be able to worship that way. Um, some of you men are going to be proud of me. Um, several months ago, I did the impossible. I cleaned out my side of the garage so I could pull the car along. My wife has always been able to pull in the garage, but now I can pull my car also in the garage um, at night. The um, it was a great thing. Now, let me tell you this. Most of that stuff was not mine. I don't know whose it was, but it's not there anymore, or it's been rearranged or put somewhere else so I can pull my car in the garage. Now, one minor inconvenience is uh, I don't have the clicker. I didn't have the clicker to be able to, you know, make the automatic garage door go up and down, but there's a button inside, so we just kind of work it out. She'll open it for me. She'll close it for me, you know, that kind of workout thing, but uh, she loves me so much, my wife Rachel, and um, that she did something really special for me. And it's really because she's so talented at this thing called Amazon. I don't know if you're familiar, but she can do that in her sleep. She can shop on Amazon, and they know everything about us there and how to get it to us. And so somehow, I got a surprise at work. In my office, I got shipped to me from Amazon the universal garage door opener so I could program that thing so I can now pull in the garage without the inconvenience of giving it, getting out. Well, as things happen, um, the day that I brought that universal re, uh, remote clicker home, I went to program it and the garage door broke. And so now, <laughs> it doesn't lift all by itself or with a clicker. I have to lift it myself and pull it down myself and lock it in place. That's so that y'all are watching. It's locked, okay? You can't pull it open. Um, but, you know, isn't that funny how things like that just, you, you, you plan, you work it out, and all of a sudden, it's almost coincidental, and you just have to laugh. You're like, of course it broke. So I still have that universal clicker uh, stored away for the day that I finally get the garage door fixed to work with the clicker. But uh, let me just go ahead and tell you right up front in case you haven't noticed, in this life, stuff happens. Have you noticed that? That stuff just happens, and it's so frustrating I was speaking to our real men's ministry uh, this past week, men and women were there, and I said, one of the goals of life, really, is to have a problem-free life. I mean, that's why you pay for warranties and insurance and you buy the best quality, because you want to have a problem-free life. Well, let me tell you, there's coming a day when you will, have, there you will be problem-free. The problem is, it's when you die, okay? It's amazing how your worries go away like that. Uh, whenever you pay and becomes somebody else's problems but if you're as long as you're living stuff happens you're going to have problems in life and it proves to us that we are not in nearly as much control of life as we think we are we love to be in control we love to imagine that we are at the helm that we're the captain of our ships but about the only thing I think we have control over is how we respond or how we react or our attitude towards the circumstances of life, the stuff of life. Now, I do have good news for you, though, about the stuff of life, okay? Um, so to those of you who are in the sanctuary, and um, some of you I know are watching right now, probably in your living room, tuned in, maybe in a hospital bed. You may be logged on uh, via the Internet right now, uh, joining us for worship. And I don't know what you're going through. When I say stuff happens, I don't know what popped into your mind. But I know we all have situations and circumstances that we're going through. Some are mild inconveniences. Some are very, very, very difficult circumstances. And you find yourself overwhelmed. But let me declare to you one thing I do know. That, you, that whatever you're facing in your life, whatever circumstances and frustrations that you're dealing with right now, 
God is involved in the stuff of your life. God is involved in the circumstances of your life. I don't want to come across as trite or um, uh, just uh, uh, insincere about this because I know some of you are uh, not necessarily facing just inconveniences, but it's very difficult stuff. Life inevitably brings stuff into our life. But if today I can accept and believe that God is involved in the stuff of my life, in the circumstances that I face, and I don't have to be at mercy, at the, to at live at the mercy of those circumstances, because I can live at the mercy of a God who's over those circumstances. If I can believe that today, then I'll experience true freedom. I think that Paul expressed it best in uh, Romans chapter 8. Now, Romans 8 is like one of the most glorious chapters in all of the New Testament. You probably know several uh, passages or verses from that chapter. You've heard it taught on or you cling to it at times of difficulty. Uh, But uh, Romans is just a jam-packed book with theology that we could spend forever studying and not really fully grasp everything that it contains. And in Romans, chapter 8 is kind of like the inspirational highlight of the book and the pinnacle of Romans 8 is the verse we're going to be looking at this morning in verse 28 and really through 30. But I want you to, uh, because that's the place where Paul declares that God's involved in the stuff of our life. But I want you to understand the uh, context, so I'm actually going to read to you beginning in verse 18, and we'll read through 28. And I'm reading from the NIV this morning, where it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory of that will be revealed in us. You know, some of the times you uh, are experiencing circumstances that make you suffer in a way. And so Paul's saying that there's going to be a point when the glory is revealed, and that suffering is not even going to come close to comparing to that glory. But we wait for it. That's what he says. Verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope... That is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we have hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Maybe you've been through circumstances like that before. You said, I don't even know what to pray. And you say, I hope God understands my tears. Well, he says in those moments, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we come to where we're going to focus today. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to his purpose. So many of you have that verse memorized or framed. You got it on a coffee cup, a keychain, a bumper sticker. Tag it at the end of your emails. We love that verse, don't we? That is such a powerful verse for us. But precisely because it's so popular and catchy, um, we could treat it in a cavalier and superficial manner this morning. 
And that's the very last thing that I want to do because I think there is some weight in this verse that's so important and so powerful for us to grasp this morning. And it makes it one of the most glorious verses in all of the New Testament. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I've decided we're going to break it down just phrase by phrase. And uh, we're going to go through that way. We'll actually skip the first um, the first point there, we're going to come back to it at the end, and we're going to start with that second phrase that says, in all things. But let me pray for us before we do that. Heavenly Father, what a delight it is for us that we can come to this moment as brothers and sisters in the Lord and feast upon your word. God, we know there are truths in here that you have planned for us, that if we'll apply it in our lives, will grow us up in faith and will prepare us for the life that's in, in front of us. God, I pray that you would have your way this morning. Jesus, that you would be exalted and glorified in this room as the only one who deserves it. It's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. So Paul writes, in all things. Have you noticed that although our lives are really different, we all kind of deal with all things in life? You know, we all, even though it's not exactly the same, we all deal with birth and life and frustrations and setbacks. We deal with hurt. We deal with pain. We deal with growth. We deal with moments of celebrations. We all deal with death. All things. We all experience all things. And um, the problem, though, I think, is that some people think, well, if I become a Christian, then only good things will happen to me. You know, some people actually teach that and believe that. But we know that's not true, don't we? I mean, look at the evidence of our lives. Some very bad things happen to us in the Christian life. All things happen to the Christian, to the non-Christian. All things happen to the wealthy, to the poor, the young, the old, the educated, the uneducated. Stuff happens in life. And so Paul writes, in all things. And when he writes this, in the Greek language, he uses one single word. It's the word panta that he writes there. And that word means all or every. It doesn't differentiate between good stuff, bad stuff, spiritual stuff, non-spiritual stuff. He says in all of it. In all things is what he writes here. Uh, all things happen to all people, both good and bad. But we can really get twisted in our thinking here. And we'll think, but because I'm a Christian, more good stuff than bad stuff is going to happen to me. Because that's what we think God's job is, is just to bring good circumstances into our lives. It's a dangerous thinking, but so many do it every day. You know, uh, you know God, you know, I went to church this week, or I prayed, and um, so you know that, and so help this to work out for me. Or I've got Romans 8.28 memorized, Lord, so I pray you'll give me that parking space so I don't have to pay for the meter. You know, whatever it is that we tell us in our head, because we think that's what God's supposed to do, is to make life very convenient for us, and just to make all good circumstances come to us. But that's really dangerous, because when all of a sudden we carry that point to its end, then... In the end, we really are just believing that God is, his responsibility in the Christian life is just to help us have a good experience. That his, it's just all about our pleasure and it's all about the way that I feel. But the New Testament talks a whole lot about suffering. Suffering for following Jesus. Jesus suffered. His disciples suffered. The early church fathers suffered. And the expectation is if you follow Christ, you are going to experience suffering. I'm afraid our American experience of Christianity has tricked us into thinking that it's God's job to only let good things happen to us. One of my favorite books is, uh, and actually it's a book I think should be required reading for the Christian life, and it's Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. I know many of you have read this book, and, um, but the reason I think it's so important is because it reminds us that 
sometimes, by, precisely because we choose to follow Christ, we're going to endure great hardship. And I'll tell you this, it's a great time to read this book because I think we're entering an era where it's really important that Christians in America be reminded that following Jesus isn't always comfortable. But Corey Ten Boom, she was a Dutch Christian who was imprisoned by the Nazis because she helped Jews escape the, helico- uh, the Holocaust. She and her family did that. And so she and her sister Betsy ended up in prisons and taken to the Ravensbrück concentration camp. And I remember reading how whenever they got taken to Barracks 28 in that book, and, uh, which is a true story, they go there and it's just awful situation, awful circumstances. It says that the, um, you know, the, the straw mats where they were to sleep were just reeking. And then she said the worst part is they were crawling with fleas all through them. And she thought, how in the world are we supposed to sleep in here? She didn't know what to do in that moment. And her sister, Betsy, said, we will put into practice what we've been reading. Because they had confiscated scripture into the concentration camp. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. uh, uh, Pray in all circumstances. Rejoice in all things. Give thanks in all circumstances, what verse 18 says. And that in all, it's the same word that we're reading in Romans 8, 28, in all things. So in everything, we're to give thanks. And Corey said, Betsy, I can't say thank you, God, for fleas. I just can't do it. No. And she said, that's what we're going to do. So they prayed. God, thank you for that. We're here. Thank you that we have this ministry, this opportunity. Thank you for the fleas. You know, they prayed. And you know what they found out? Um, the, the Nazi um, guards never interrupted or uh, their prayer services, their Bible study that they had in Barracks 28. You know why? She found out they didn't want to be near the fleas. And so they stayed out so they could continue uninterrupted praying and studying the word of God. So in all things, we're to give thanks, but in all things, we also find out uh, that's where God's working. Uh, when we get that promotion and when we get that demotion, when we find out that the problem with the motor is just a minor tweak to get it running again, and also whenever it's got to be rebuilt, when that x-ray reveals the spot was just a spot, didn't mean anything, Sometimes it shows it's something much more serious. In all of those things, Paul writes, God works. Now, depending on your version of the Bible here, you may not read this phrase as God works because it's translated a little bit different. Um, the more accurate reading is probably, would probably say um, all things work together, you know, as some of your versions say. But the NIV actually, uh, when they translate, deliberately put the word God there. Not because it's different from what Paul was saying, Paul all along was implying that God's working, not the things. The things aren't working together, but God is working. And so this is an accurate reading, but I think it helps us to understand a whole lot better that in all things, God works. Because there's an important distinction here. Paul is not saying all things just work together. They just work out. We say that a lot, don't we? Don't worry about it. Things will just work out in the end. Just keep on keeping on. Things will work out. You know, things don't naturally work out, you know? You know what happens? Garage doors just all of a sudden break. They don't all of a sudden start working, you know? That's just the way that things go. Things fall apart. In fact, Paul said that. Did you notice it in verse 21 where we read it there? He says, uh, in talking about this, he says, creation is in bondage to decay and in desperate need of the appearing of a Savior. That's what's happening. Creation is naturally decaying. Things are naturally falling apart. That's the natural flow of society and of the world. Look around us. The moral fabric of our society is naturally, it's just deteriorating. It's not getting better. It's getting worse, right? 
So that, that's what he's saying. That's, that's the natural flow. That's why we need plumbers. We would not need plumbers if things just kind of fixed themselves, right? You know, if mechanic, we wouldn't need mechanics. We wouldn't need plastic surgeons. We wouldn't need those things because things would just kind of work out, right? Well, that's not what he says here. Things fall apart. And we made a declaration at the beginning of this sermon that God is involved in the circumstances of my life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is actually working in the circumstances of your life? You know, because there's a temptation to believe that he make me, makes the watch and winds it up and then walks away and just let it tick on its own, come what may. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul says that God is at work in the circumstances of our life. That means we don't have to be at the mercy of our circumstances. We get to live at the mercy of a God who is over our circumstances. In both positive and negative situations, God is working. And that's a very good thing. Who else would you want behind the scenes of your life working to make things work out? Who else would you want? There is nobody better for the job than God. God is the very best choice. There's a, I can't think of a better place to remind us of that than to think about the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 12, he says, Who, talking about God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand, marked out the heavens? Who else? Can you name a few people? Who else? A week ago, Rachel and I got the opportunity to take a little vacation. And um, our uh, fam sweet family members watched our dear children. We missed them all of about 10 minutes while we were gone. Just kidding. We missed them a lot more than that. Um, but we went cruising through the uh, Caribbean. And, um, you know, you eat a lot on those boats. And so I decided I had to try to exercise as well. So I ran a little bit. Uh, it, you have to run a lot of laps for it to pay off. Uh, but one night I was up there running. Nobody else was really up there, just a couple people. And, um, you know, there's something uh, that's... Uh, uh, you know, you're expected when you're on a cruise boat. You're surrounded by water, right? As far as I could see was just dark water, because this was at night. And on that side, that side, the front, the back, it was all just water everywhere. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? All of that. I couldn't see anything but water. And he measures it in the hollow of his hand. Y'all know Lynn Burkholder? Lynn Burkholder has big hands. But God <laughs> has hands that can measure out the, the waters in the hollow of his hand. And then it says, and I, that same time when I was running, the sun was setting on one side of the boat, and you could just, it was right before it just went below the uh, horizon there. Beautiful colors. And above it, you could see the moon. And on the other side of the boat, um, you could just see sky forever. And it was millions of stars. Who has measured out the heavens with the breadth of his hand? I know you feel like the circumstances of your life, you can't do anything with you feel like you're at the end of your rope. Life is too much for you to handle. Well, let me tell you this. He has hands big enough for the oceans to mark out the heavens and to carry the really big circumstances of your life. And he is working in those circumstances of your life. Do you believe God is working in your life? You will find freedom if you can believe that truth. He says, in all things, God works, and then Paul says, for the good. Now, I think there's a clarification that's in order here. Paul is not saying that God is at work to only bring what feels like good to you all the time or to bring about what you think is best for you. Um, God is at work to produce what always seems best to him in your life. 
In all things, God is using all circumstances, the good, the bad, the stuff of life, to bring about what he knows is good for you. So what's the good that we're reading about? Well, God's pretty strategic, and so he has an end game in mind for you because you're a child of his and what he wants you to become. And he, he spells it out here. When talking about all things working, God working all things, the good, all things for the good, for those who love him, he says in verse 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, here it comes, to be conformed to the image of his son. Everything is going to work for good because God has predestined that we be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's the first good thing, that God is going to take you and all the things that you have to deal with in life and use that to shape you so that you are conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That's what God's doing. A couple of other good things that God is doing. Um, says that he might be the firstborn, talking about Jesus here, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So God is conforming you into his likeness so that you're like, you know, you've got the character of Jesus in eternity. And at the same time, this is a very respectful term that Paul says that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, he might be exalted. And then he goes on in verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So character of Christ built in us. Jesus exalted among many brothers and sisters. And then we get to share in his glory. Remember how we said at the beginning of this? That when all of a sudden he appears, our suffering is not even going to come close to comparing to the glory. And that's a third good thing that God's doing in the circumstances of our life. So he's working it all for the good. But the circumstances of life are not all fun. We know that. It doesn't always feel good. But let me tell you this. Let me draw a distinction here for you. There's a difference between good things happening to me and good things happening in me. You know that? There's a difference between good things happening to me and good things happening in me. I have two boys that are over here, Caleb and Evan. Their little brother and little sister are downstairs. Caleb just waved, and Evan's now waving. So anyways, uh, I, you know what? As a good father, I want good things to happen to my boys. I want them to get the uh, accolades and the praise and them to just to have good things happen to them. Caleb likes to run, and so this past fall he ran his first 5K. So proud of him. He finished first among second graders in his region in that 5K, and I was so proud of him. I want good things to happen to him. But Caleb, more than good things happening to you, I want good things to happen in you. And sometimes bad things have to come into our life so that good things can happen in us. And if we have a heavenly father who's a good, good father, then sometimes those bad things come into our lives so that he can create good things in us. This verse is much more glorious than simply being about God working all things so that good things happen to you. God is in the business of taking the good the bad that happened to me, and working it together for good in me. So God's plan is not just for me to have a happy life. His plan is that you have the character of Jesus in eternity. So that's the good that God's working in you. So in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. As you study the passage, you have to ask the question, is he making a difference here between Christians and then Christians who love him? And you'll discover, no, he's talking about all believers in Jesus Christ. The assumption is they are lovers of God. And so in all believers, God has taken the circumstances of life and making it into good for them because they love him. But he calls them those who love him. I think there's a good point for us to make, draw from this. Let me ask you a question. Which do you love more, God or the benefit of knowing God? 
Which do you love more? Do you love God more or the good things God can do for you? Remember that parable of the prodigal son? The younger son goes to his dad and says, can I have my inheritance now? In other words, it's been nice knowing you. I wish you were gone and I could have the inheritance that you're going to give to me. So which is more important to you? Do you love God or the stuff God can do for you? God wants to be loved, but not because he's needy, but because he's lovable and also because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, not lovers, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus for us. That's the kind of God that we can know and love. And that God is working together the stuff of our life for good. So the beginning of the phrase, of, the, the, of um, this verse, Paul wrote, and we know. Remember how I said sometimes we don't know what to pray? Well, Paul's saying sometimes we don't know how to pray, but right now we do know. Uh, and it's not a hypothesis. It's not a theory. It's knowledge. In the circumstances of your life, you can have full knowledge that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. You may have a lot of questions about this life right now. You may be feeling like you're at the end of your rope. You don't know what to do. And you've got questions, and I probably couldn't even answer them for you like you maybe would want me to. But I can tell you this. There's something I do know. There's something we can know as believers in Jesus Christ. That in all our circumstances, in all our uh, groanings, in all of our suffering, in all of our pain, and even in all our celebrations, there is a God who is mostly working good in us to conform us into the image of Jesus for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's what God's doing. Um, this uh, past week, um, I had to participate in a couple family funerals. And uh, one of them, we went to my wife's cousin's funeral. And his life was cut dramatically short. And they're carrying around um, a lot of questions today. And you know what? I don't have answers for those questions. I could try to come up with a theory, but in the end, I don't know answers to that. But I do know this. I can't say why. I can't say all that. But I can say that I know without a shadow of a doubt, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. And that brings me to really a conclusion here, which is a final question for you. Do you love God? Do you know God? You may say, wow, that's a really good philosophy for life. But let me tell you this. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, this verse is not applicable. The very first thing for you to do is to recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Scripture says that whoever calls on the name of Jesus shall be saved. Have you done that before? Well, the good news is we are going to have a time of invitation where you can respond to that question. So I want you to be praying about that. God, is there something I can do or need to do in all of this? So you can walk away today that God is at work to bring about good. Now, living at the mercy of your circumstances without a relationship with Jesus is bad news temporarily, but it's bad news eternally as well. But through a relationship with Jesus, you can discover that you can live at the mercy of God who is over all of your circumstances. And if you're looking for joy in life, you can find it in a relationship with him. And so don't walk out of here thinking 
well, I love God for what he can do for me. But do you know God enough to say, I love God. I love him. Our Father in God, what a great joy it is for us to be able to open up our Bibles and study the truths that you've given to us that are enough, enough for us to build our life upon. God, and I know there's a lot of people in this room and joining us via television and the internet who are in the thick of it with the stuff that happens in life. God, I thank you that we have a promise for those who know you and are called according to your purpose, that you're in the midst of all of that, working it together for good. God, and I pray that you'd have your way today, that we wouldn't walk away and say, that's really good stuff for us to hear, but you'd help us to apply it. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In just a second, we're going to have an invitation. The choir's going to stand and they're going to sing. And you're going to have the opportunity to respond. Some of you, you may, be, may need to make the decision to join this church in membership. You might need to take a step of being baptized. But let me tell you, if you've never received Jesus as Savior, today's the day for that. So let me invite you to stand. As our choir sings, you respond.